0: This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentleman of Bird Campbell, PA. Bird Campbell means business. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 118 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Thursday evening, April 26th, 2018. I am your host this week, Sam Klein, coming to you for one of the very last times uh, from Denver, uh, before my move to Durham this summer. I am joined, as usual, by my co-hosts in Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. Good evening, Donald. Haven't talked to you in a while.
1: Hey, how's it going? I actually, guys, I have a kind of cool story to tell you. So today I was on, uh, for those of you guys who who out there know what I do in real life, I'm an attorney uh, in my spare time when I'm not uh, talking about Duke basketball. But anyway, I was on a project that uh, coincidentally ended uh, today uh, after eight hours. But while I was at this project, there's only three people, other people on the project, and one guy, asked what I did on the side and he caught me listening to episode 117 of this very podcast uh, and I was telling him that I helped do a podcast and he actually subscribed on the spot. He is not a Duke fan whatsoever, but he loves sports podcasts and he loves uh, uh, SB Nation content. So he literally signed up to subscribe on iTunes, so Brendan, if you're out there, uh, I know we just met yesterday, uh, but thank you for subscribing, and all of you out there, thank you for subscribing. I like it. I like
0: it. And my other co-host is in Atlanta, Jason Evans. Jason, have you gotten any new subscribers to our show recently?
2: I I, I feel impotent. I feel terrible that I haven't done that, done what Donald just did. But uh, that's really cool, Donald, and uh, I, I just think. It's so cool. I, I know it happens to to both of you guys. It happens to me every now and then. I'll I'll run into someone and they'll hear my name and it'll be a Duke person. They'll go, "Wait a second, are you that Jason Evans?" And I love being able to go, "Yeah, yeah, I am." <laughs> but 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 Jason,
0: that's been happening to you for what fifteen or twenty years, right? You you've been you've been Duke
2: Jason Evans. I
0: feel like for most of my life.
2: Oh you you're so kind to say so. Yeah, no, actually uh, uh, occasionally occasionally I, I I do run into people who who know me from the boards because um for a long long time I posted more than anyone anyone else on the on the boards. I don't I don't anymore. I'm still pretty active, but I'm not the most active, but uh but yeah, the podcast now um has renewed the fame so to speak. There we go. Got it. And- feel- I feel like such an asshole. (laughs) I can't believe I just said that. I know that
0: that we have important stuff to get to because you have your review of Avengers Infinity War for us to break down. But before we get to that, the reason, the reason, of course, that we are doing a show tonight uh, after a little bit of a layoff that we've had is that yesterday the NCAA released the report from the Commission on College Basketball. I'm sure that anyone who's listening to this show is at least aware that 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 came out maybe you've read a little bit about it maybe you haven't that's most of what we're going to talk about on this show so just to recap the committee uh, commission on college basketball was formed back in the fall to address specifically the issues surrounding the fbi scandal and and the arrests of uh, a number of adidas employees and assistant basketball coaches from around the power five structure coaches from Louisville and Miami and Oklahoma state, lots of different places um, got caught up in this thing. And there were a lot of different layers to it, but the commission was formed sort of as an independent advisory group to figure out what changes needed to happen with college basketball. The committee released their findings and their report yesterday. The, the chair of the committee, Condoleezza Rice, was on TV doing a press conference Wednesday morning, uh, early in the morning, to to talk about that. She appeared uh, on a number of different media outlets to talk about it to reiterate the points. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into what we think about that uh, commission report. But I want to quickly summarize it from the NCAA's website. There were basically four key points. The first being to what what they're saying is create realistic pathways for student athlete success. So Their first recommendation in that area was to get rid of the run one and done rule, which is, of course, an an NBA issue, not really an NCAA issue. And I think that the expectation is that they're going to work with the NBA to try to figure out how to close that as quickly as possible. Um, And also to allow student athletes to uh, enter the draft and stay in the draft, but ultimately come back to college if they feel like. Uh, or if if they weren't drafted which is currently not what they're allowed to do now if they stay in the draft uh, after a certain date they aren't allowed to come back to school and and play basketball again um the second area is to establish professor, professional neutral investigation and adjudication of serious infractions and hold institutions and individuals accountable i cannot wait to talk about this with Jason Evans who is our resident expert on all things UNC scandal um because that a, a, there was a lot of pointed language
1: in the report, specifically, I think, related Sam, to the UNC scandal. Sam, in my notes, I I definitely have that bold and italicized, and <laughs> next to <laughs> We've it, Jason here I, for next, that. To, next to it, in all caps, I say Jason. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, point three, and I and I'll let you guys dive in here. I just wanted to finish the summary. Point three: mitigate non-scholastic basketball's harmful influence on college basketball. This I'm interested to hear about, uh, reforming non-scholastic basketball and make its finances transparent and list the uh, apparel companies in transparency and uh, and have the NCAA generally be more involved in high school basketball and and AAU basketball. And the last point, to add a significant cadre of public members to the NCAA Board of Governors. And I don't know how much we're going to touch on that one, but... A lot. There was a lot of content in here that that all came out at once. I think that everybody in the college basketball media was pouring over it, and I think the general take prior to the report coming out was that this might be a good thing and it, it might be useful for college basketball. But ultimately, because of the makeup of the committee, we weren't sure that they were going to go far enough to actually rectify the things that are quote unquote wrong with the sport so i want to start with jason and i'm actually glad that i've got that i've got me hosting it and you you guys here sort of as my main analyst because Donald, <laughs> i have i have donald who's my legal team as, as he was just explaining right and i've got jason who is i don't know the most passionate unc scandal guy maybe in all of duke internet so um i want to start with jason feel free to, to to tackle any of the individual points or the sort of commission's work as a whole, what were your main takeaways from the release of the report on Wednesday?
2: Well, I'll start by saying I'm probably going to disappoint you guys, unfortunately. And it's almost like I'm UNC-scandaled out. I poured out so much when it was going on And then the NCAA punched me in the gut when they did nothing. And it's almost like I can't muster the hate anymore. (laughs) So, yeah, there was a whole section of this report that talked about how wrong and terrible and horrible it was that the NCAA was unable to police academics and unable to punish UNC. I don't think they put those letters UNC together in a row in the report. I haven't read the report you know word for word every single word in it cuz it's really long um i don't i don't think they ever mentioned north carolina by name um but it was clear what they were talking about but I, it sucks that the ncaa was not able to punish unc and for me for this commission to come along now and for one of their major findings to be that the ncaa completely screwed the pooch on that one and and that the NCAA rules failed everyone involved and that the NCAA allowed one of their flagship universities to get away with with an abhorrent, terrible academic fraud for them to come along now and say it. I want to be like, big deal. So what? Nothing's going to be done about it. So, you know, why are you making me get all worked up about it again? Oh. So I'd rather focus on something different. I, I believe that there is a fundamental an essential question for college basketball that I really thought that this commission would address, that this commission would look at and deal with. And the question to me is really, really simple. And this is what it is. Is college basketball, is the game about athletes or is it about student athletes? Are we a minor league for the pros or we are Are we attempting to provide a college education to these kids? And I don't think z- this report came close to addressing that fundamental question. Um, and I think that's the thing that really missed in all of this. Because
0: they, I, I think that, like, I, I, I do want to hear more on that to sort of play devil's advocate for them. The very first point in the report is we don't want to be specifically the minor leagues for professional basketball. That being said, they're still trying to create more ways for students to be
2: sort of in both worlds, right? Yeah, but and, and you know what I would say? Why? Uh, there's no reason for them to be in both worlds. It, I, I've reached the point where, to me, it doesn't make sense. College basketball players to mostly be looking toward the NBA if you're mostly looking toward the NBA you should be in some kind of NBA minor league or you should be in the NBA if you're if if basketball is going to be your pro career then at the highest levels then then I, you know I don't know why we're bothering to put so much effort into educating you as part of our university system, because it doesn't appear to me like these guys really want to get an education. And, uh, you know, we need look no further than this year's NBA draft, where 181 collegiate players, 181 guys who are no longer in high school, who are one year removed from high school, and who have not gotten their degree This doesn't even count the guys who got their degrees. 181 of them have made themselves eligible for the NBA draft. There are only 60 guys who will be drafted. There probably will only be about 50 or so guys who will actually make an NBA roster as a full-time NBA player, new, new players in the league next year. Maybe not even that many. And yet we had 181 kids from college basketball decide they wanted to turn pro. And this report to me could have. I, I I recognize that the major impediment here is the NBA and the Players Association. They're the ones who control access to the league, and so there's a limit on what the NCAA can do. But um, the, the folks, Adam Silver, the folks who run the NBA, the folks who are responsible for this have already said that they were gonna. They were really keen to see what this report was gonna say about how guys transitioned from high school into professional basketball and, and and the process and the steps that they take along the way. And I thought the report, I thought the commission could have gone into much more greater depth about that process. There are certainly, there are people on that committee, David Robinson, Grant Hill. Uh, there are a number of people on that committee who know about those steps, know about the process. And those folks should have put stuff in that report that was a guidepost and was a signpost and told the NBA Here's what you all, you have all the money, you've got billions and billions of dollars. Here's what you all need to do to make the system work right. So I, I was very, very disappointed in that. I thought that the report identified a lot of problems and didn't have a lot of solutions. They had some solutions, but the solutions were pretty weak in my opinion and they 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 pointed fingers at bad coaches they pointed fingers at bad sneaker companies they pointed fingers at bad agents they talked about having outside organizations police the sport of college basketball i don't know why but that was one big thing they had but they didn't really point a finger at the ncaa very much and i think the ncaa is a lot of the problem here but uh, okay I've, I've done enough donald what what what's your big takeaway from it well to, to piggyback on that i i thought that you know, you mentioned 181
1: guys or early entries into the NBA draft and only 60 players are going to be drafted. That's not counting. So that 181, you said, is not counting seniors who are graduating. It's not counting European players who are declaring. It's just from college and there's only 60 people that get drafted. So I did think
2: that there was one aspect. That's a very small aspect, but something that should be noted. But but, Um, by the way, not not all six, not all sixty of those will make a team. Plenty of second rounders don't make a team.
1: Like I was saying, I think
2: usually there are around forty-five to fifty new spots in the NBA uh, at the start of the season.
1: Right, and 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 here's the thing. I, I think the one thing they they noted is that they that players who aren't selected in the NBA draft should be allowed to return to college. If the NCAA is about you know. If if they want to tout the student athlete, then I do think it's very disingenuous that when a player decides he wants to test his medal in the NBA and try it for the NBA draft that college that the NCAA is like, see ya. Um, I think it'd be really good that for players who don't get drafted that do make that mistake, that they learn from that mistake and they're allowed to go back
2: to college uh and play. Now I know this creates I'm some so, I'm issues. so glad. Wait, it, I'm so correct. glad you said that. It, it, that that is that uh, that is one of the best things in this, and and hand in hand with that is players are allowed to sign with an agent and retain their NCAA eligibility. Uh, assuming this rule passes, it means that um, that players could go into the draft, sign with an agent, and if they don't like their position, they can go back to college and still play college ball. And that, to me, is probably the best change in this entire thing. So, yeah, though,
0: ahead. although they're allowed to do that, but but the agents can't provide them any money. So uh, some of the benefit of retaining an agent early is that you actually get to start making money on your talents. And for the athletes who are looking for that, who really want to make money as quickly as possible, it's not available under these recommendations. I, I, I do want to come back to that, but, but Donald, go ahead and finish that thought.
1: Yeah, I, 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 but here's the thing. I think you know if if the NCAA is going to be about the student athlete then they need to create avenues for the student athlete to be able to return to college i do understand that it creates a logistical issue when it comes to scholarships and it, you know you talk about how uh, you know for example if we had a guy leave to go to the nba draft and he doesn't get drafted then theoretically he couldn't come back if we have filled his spot uh and and so i think there has to be something more to be done to protect these players because again would you let 181 guys go? That's just, you know, some of these guys are growing on bad information. And if you're going to let them make that mistake, you got to be there to help them when that mistake materializes. And I think that's one thing that they probably could have pushed harder on, but I do think allowing them to return to college is a good first step. I also think on the other hand, I think that they kind of did college basketball players a disservice by continuing to require players to sit out when they transfer. And I understand that they're, obviously a myriad of of reasons why a guy would transfer. But I think there is a very big uh, uh, disconnect when they talk about stiffening penalties for coaches and saying coaches, if they do something wrong, then they're banned for life. But they're still allowing coaches to leave, to go to other schools. They're still allowing coaches to leave, to go to the NBA. They're still allowing coaches to do what they want and not have any repercussions on the programs that they leave behind. And I, or even on the coaches, like, you know, Coaches get all this money, and they can leave on a whim. But the players, who are left in their wake, they may be in a different situation. It happens everywhere, right? Like some people switch high schools because they get to a high school, the coach leaves, and the new coach comes in and doesn't think the player is very good. So the coach, so they want to transfer to a high school where they might get some more playing time. It, it happens in every level of basketball. It happens in every sport, and I think that allowing or allowing players maybe a one out, like a one, a one out penalty uh, or a transfer uh, for free. I, I think that would allow them to kind of understand that these student athletes are just people. And at the end, if, if they weren't athletes, if they're just students, they'd be allowed to do this without, you know, three, four or five times if they wanted to, to get to the situation that works best for them. And finally, before I hand it back to you, Sam, uh, they talked about, the one and done rule. I know we're going to talk a lot of it about this, but I want to focus on an individual aspect of it. They talked about if the NCAA, if the NBA did not get rid of the one and done rule, then the NCAA should look at a model of freshman ineligibility or locking up a scholarship for a period of time. But that would mean that if that player left to go to the NBA, that scholarship would remain locked for a period of time, even if that player is no longer there. And I think that is something that again would tie back into the transfer rule. It would tie back into the uh, you know allowing players to return to college. If a player, if 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 the school can lock up a scholarship or or is required to lock up a scholarship for a player that's not there, that does the programs a disservice. And I think that they really have to take all these issues that they have that they kind of tried to tackle bit by bit, all intertwine. And I don't think they did a good job at figuring out where they intertwine and realizing that logistically and fundamentally and even just, you know, s- commonsensically, some of these things that they have, these these recommendations that they make, kind of play against each other, and it leaves us back at square one.
0: Well, I think that the problem is that they maintained some of the hypocrisy around, quote-unquote, the amateur model, that I think they seemed determined to preserve here, despite having to put all these new aspects into the system. And I think a lot of the stuff, Donald, that you just touched on is, is all about that. Going back to what you were saying about how coaches can you know take new jobs, but but players can't transfer without sitting out. I think that's a perfect microcosm of the players are amateurs, and we can't let them act like Professionals, they can't just be free agents and go wherever they want. I think that preserving amateurism is key here because, cynically, all of the money that is made by college basketball is is funneled to the schools and the coaches and the NCAA and, and Mark Emmert and his staff, and is, does not go to the players. If amateurism doesn't exist, some of that money then some of that money stays with. With those current stakeholders, but some of it ends up with the players. And the player, I, I don't know what what sort of breakdown of, of, of all that revenue would be, where all the TV money and the advertising and all that would go, you know, if the if the schools were able to let the players like sign their own endorsement deals or things like that, how the breakdown would change, but it would change. And all of the people who make the most money on this whole institution would lose some of that money.
1: Real by, quickly, Sam, on changing
0: um, the amateur model.
1: Real quickly, you know, you you just you said something that I think the NCAA likes to highlight uh, that you know that the students are amateurs and that you know amateurism is key and you, you know those sort of things are things that the NCAA likes to say to as a reason to not pay them. But here's the thing: you or I or, or Jason, when we were in school, we were also amateurs. You know, we we could. We could solicit, you know, payment for things that we did very well. But in the terms of like being a student, you know, we were amateurs. And if we wanted to leave Duke and go somewhere else, we had that option. No one was there to stop us and no one was there to say you can't do that or you have to sit out a semester or you can't take classes for a semester. You can't do chemistry experiments for a semester because you transferred to another school. I think if they want to treat these guys like amateurs then they need to treat them like amateurs and, and treat them. And it's just like the, the Pat Ford report where they say, am, you know, athletics, they treat these athletes so much differently because the NCAA wants to keep that money in their own pocket. And if they're going to treat these guys differently, then they're going to have to pay them or they're going to have to treat them differently than any other student. If I, if I played basketball really well, if, if the entire Duke student population played basketball really well, then it'd be one thing, but these guys are, or 12, 13, 14 of the best players possible in the country. And you got to think about, they have to think about how they're treating these players and, the, and the, the double standard that they're creating for themselves.
0: I think the other i think the other item on, on amateurism that, or, uh, it's about amateurism, but it also ties back because Jason was talking about how a lot of the recommendations were towards outside organizations that we need to engage the, these dirty shoe companies and agents and things like that. The, I think there's a missed opportunity here for the NCAA to acknowledge that the shoe companies in particular are key to this whole thing existing because the shoe companies put on the AAU events and they do. I've never been to an AAU event, but I imagine it's, it's great fun and everybody has a good time because you get to see lots of good basketball players playing against each other and all the all the coaches go so that they can recruit and and network with each other and with the players and that is all good that that helps bring all of these different people together who are part of the greater basketball world the other thing that the shoe companies do that is essential is they give money to the schools the duke basketball program makes it's money, I believe, primarily from ESPN, but then but then right behind it is is the money that they make from Nike to outfit the players and to make the uniforms, and why does Nike pay Duke all that money, and why does Adidas pay Kansas all that money? Because then they can turn around and sell shoes and sell jerseys and jackets and all of that stuff. Part of the reason that college basketball makes so much money is because we buy that gear, and people... People love that stuff, and the NCAA by by putting the shoe companies sort of off in the corner here and not bringing them in, not bringing the apparel companies into the conversation, putting them on the on the commission and and getting their real input here, I think is doing a disservice to a huge part of the basketball landscape, and and again comes back to amateurism because if the if all of a sudden the players were allowed to make money on on their likenesses or were allowed to make advertising revenue, I think the the first companies that would be involved in that would be those apparel companies. And the NCAA again, is scared of that. They don't want those companies to be able to work directly with the student athletes because if Nike can pay Marvin Bagley, I don't know a million dollars while he's in school to be a Nike athlete. Then they don't have to go through Duke, and and they can set it up differently. Jason, I know that you were about to jump in with something else.
2: Yeah, I've got like four different things I want to jump in on now. Um, the, the, but the problem
0: here is that the problem here is that is that all these things intertwine. I think one of you said that that everything here is related. So yeah, we're, yeah. we're gonna have to just jump around like this. You Can't talk about one the, without the other in this in exactly. this
1: situation. Exactly.
2: So uh, so so first of all, on on the issue of uh, the players being able to monetize their image and likeness, and, uh, and Donald, you were talking about it um, in terms of uh, you know, oh, these are some of the, the twelve you know best basketball players around, and the NCAA wants to control them in a way that they don't control other students. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unfair that the NCAA does that. If you're one of the twenty best, you know, computer app programmers out there and you attend Duke university and you, and you invent a great app. Duke doesn't prevent you from, from monetizing that app from selling that app from being paid for that app. Uh, you know, same thing for a million other different careers. If you're, if you're a student who comes up with something and brings value, then you're allowed to monetize that unless you happen to be an athlete.
1: No, I mean, Mike Posner. What? He, he was recording music and putting out albums while he was in school. Like he was able to make millions of dollars while being in school, but his, his classmate had to wait until he became an NBA player to get that money.
2: I'll, I'll, give, know, you great, I, I'll give you a great I, example.
0: Well, I was going to say, I made tens of dollars uh, doing, a, <laughs> doing a cover of a Mike Posner <laughs> tune in my acapella group. So uh, shout out to Mike Posner,
2: uh, the man for being a great inspiration for us. I was going to say, you you want a great analogy for this. The Duke porn star, the 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 girl who uh, who was a duke student and and was doing porn on the side to help pay for her uh, her her tuition, was literally, quite literally monetizing her image and likeness. Her mm-hmm. image was her currency. And the fact that she could do that, and the basketball players couldn't, is stupid and absurd, and I'm so frustrated and angry at this commission that they wouldn't, that they won't let this kind of stuff happen. Uh, this commission had a chance to really radically shake up the sport, and they chose not to. And that's so disappointing. It's so frustrating. I'm and mad top, about it. On top of that, th- this was one of my big takeaways:
0: the way that Mark Emmert set up this commission and the way that the commission took its job so seriously makes me think that the NCAA is going to take these recommendations. They're going to talk to all of the various stakeholders that they want to engage, like the NBA, like USA Basketball, like potentially these shoe companies. They're going to quickly, like Mark Emmert said they want to, quickly implement as many of the changes as they think are feasible and and that they agree with. They're going to do all of that. And then, because they want to put this whole thing behind them and they don't want all these image problems anymore. They're going to forget about it. And there, I doubt that there will be another opportunity like the one that just closed for people to make serious inputs to what needs to change about college basketball for it to work correctly. And for those ideas to get, to get digested by the people in power and implemented because you, you have
2: hit, you are exactly right. You've hit the nail on the head. We, we had this, and that's the reason I'm so mad about this. We had this window. We had this opportunity to really change the sport. And the, the sad thing, the unfortunate thing is that this commission didn't go far enough, didn't even come close to going far enough. And I think it's really interesting. I haven't, I've been looked ar- looking around. I haven't seen any articles where people go, wow, clap, 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 applause, applause, applause. The commission did exactly the right thing. Virtually every article, very every analysis I've read about it says, yeah, there's some good stuff in here, but they failed on XYZ PDQ. They failed in so many different areas. It's like universal. The criticism of them, we're not the only guys saying that these guys blew it. And and it's such a pity, Sam, as you identified, that that this commission, if they'd come back with radical stuff, the NCAA would have adopted radical stuff. That was the opportunity and it's gone. Right. So and wait, so I want to this commission I, I, had
0: all that power. And and I was gonna say that that it's not like the good ideas aren't out there. We talk about them and we're, you know, in the college basketball media landscape, we're we're a tiny corner of it, right? Yahoo and and CBS and ESPN writer and at the athletic all writers from every one of these major publications espouse a lot of the same ideas about how to pay the players and how to make sure that that everyone is represented appropriately and and all the the various things that go into this writers uh at, at every outlet publish stories multiple times a year about what they would do as say the college basketball commit if they were the college basketball commissioner, if Jay Billis was the college basketball commissioner, what what all the changes would be. These ideas are out there. They are not new. They get repeated every year. And and they seem to be the same. I,
2: most of them have the same and, idea and
0: mostly the same. Right. I, I and my guess would be that Mark Emmert does not read any of those articles. But among the people on this commission, I would have hoped that they were more in tune with with those ideas that that Grant Hill reads Gary Parish or or that he reads Dana O'Neill or, or whoever your favorite college basketball writer is and that he's he's more thoughtful about that than Emmert is because I don't think that Emmert is in a position to be that kind of guy because he has to represent this big organization and he needs to he needs to protect all of all of his people um, and and that's where the big miss was but you were saying
2: okay so. I want to do a little game with you guys. I think this is a, a great spot for us to do it because we, we just set it up perfectly. And my game is this. I want each of you, and after you guys go, I'll go. Let's pretend like one of the recommendations of this commission was, they said, and as our final recommendation, Sam Klein, Donald Wine, and Jason Evans are in charge of college basketball in fact you're in charge of all of basketball and you may implement one thing one change so if you were commissioner czar if you were in charge of the sport and you could do one thing donald i'll go to you first what would that one thing be this is difficult because like i said earlier uh
1: you can't really talk about one thing without the other, but here I'll I'll do as best I can. The one thing I would do is go straight to the NBA and institute a rule that everyone is eligible outside of high school. And if two things, one, if they are drafted in the second round or not drafted at all, and they enroll in college,
2: they have to stay for three years. Uh, well, wait, wait, uh, so that's a, g- uh, help me understand that. That's, so a, big, if that's they, a big change. If they want to go to the NBA they they and they aren't in the first round, they have to stay in college?
1: No, no. They they can make the option to go to college. So, no, so in other words, just like uh, uh, the b- baseball draft. Baseball, if you get drafted, you don't necessarily have to sign. You can take that draft position and say, ah, I'm going to go to college instead. But if the okay, guys – Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So in, in, so in other words, if you are drafted – outside of the first round. So that means not a guaranteed contract. If you're drafted outside the first round or not at all, you can still go to college. But if those guys go to college, they have to stay for three years. See, I'm not sure that that
0: actually fixes a lot of the problems because you'd have guys whose stock changes dramatically in those three years. And I think that you're unnecessarily limiting some of those players, like say uh, a Frank Jackson or a Trey Young who don't think they're going to be one and done players who all of a sudden find out they're good enough to be in that one year or maybe two years, Luke Kennard being another one. And, and now you're forcing them to stay in college. I don't know. How does that, how does that address the, the issue of the the players sort of getting
1: what's theirs? I think at the end the players, we've talked about this on, on this podcast and in everywhere for, for quite a while. I think in the end, when, we, when we're when we discussing players that you're like, hey, this guy should not be playing in college, he should be in the NBA. We're not talking about 181 players. We're talking about maybe 10 to 15. And I think the other ones, I think what they can do is just like, you know, this may, again, this may take some Work with the NBA. Maybe the NBA ex- extends the draft by a round or two, so they can draft more players. Especially anticipating some of these players to go to college after they get drafted. But I think in the end, I think what it does it solidifies the programs. And when you have a program, you 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 the players are I'm sorry, the coaches are going to go after players that are are good, but also guys that they know. Uh, they can shape around for three years or they can build into a program over three years. And I think if you do that, if I think two years, isn't enough. Um, When people say two and through, like, I I don't know if that's enough to me only because if you want to really, if people are so upset about all these players leaving after one year, then they really are going to be just only slightly less upset if they leave after two. I think the people who want players to stay for more than one year, they're not talking about two. They want them to stay for three or four. They want them to they want our program to be solid, stable, and the and really latch on to some of these players. And I think in the end, that's why I think if everyone should be eligible for the draft, if you if you get drafted at 17 and you want to go after after you graduate high school and you want to go to the NBA, awesome. I think that should be on the table for anyone who that situation applies to, but for everyone else who may need a backup plan or need your or say, hey, I, I got drafted in the second round by the Golden State Warriors. There's no way I'm making that roster. Let me go to college and try to reestablish my, uh, my positioning here. Um, I, I think that that should be be allowed to happen. I think in college football you kind of have the three year plan. And I think it works. Um, because but it, there's different rules in college football is a different animal to to tackle, but. I'm sitting here looking at the NFL draft. I'm looking at guys that I know, Hey, I know what this guy can do, or I, you know, they're beloved by their fan bases because they were there for three or four years. I think that's what college basketball fans who want to get rid of the one and done dra- uh, rule. I think that's what they're pining for.
0: I'm going to, uh, I'm going to know, quickly, if- I'm going to quickly issue a rebuttal to Donald's idea um, mm-hmm. because I don't think we have to on this on the show. And then I'm going to share my, my recommendation. So the, the problem Donald that I see with that general plan is that if you're following the baseball model, you're going to end up with a baseball like system where the college game is, is way undervalued relative to the professional game. I don't think that the NBA is going to end up with a minor league system that is as extensive as baseballs is where Mm -hmm. every, every major league baseball team has, I think six or seven minor league affiliates that that all represent different levels or, or maybe it's five of them that all right. represent different levels and and players progress through those. They don't necessarily spend like a whole year in each of them, but they do, they do come up through just about every one of those levels before making it to the major leagues. I don't think that would happen because Marvin Bagley could have played in the NBA this year. He wouldn't have sat in the, in the double a team, but you by doing it that way you end up with college programs that get much worse players because the guys who are fringe nba prospects are going to want to make money and the and college basketball i think you know some number of years down the road after you implement that system would start to look more like college baseball where frankly there isn't as much attention on it and the quality of play isn't as good i think that there's some understanding that the reason that college basketball is so prominent is not just that it's affiliated with the schools, but also that the level of play is high enough and entertaining enough that fans are interested in watching that as an alternative to the NBA. Not that they're on the same level, because we know they're not. Um, it, that's not the case in any sport. But in baseball, th- there isn't a big present media presence for college baseball. I'm a huge professional baseball fan. I watch lots and lots of major league baseball. And I think when I was in school, I went to like two, maybe three Duke baseball games because it's just such at a, it's at a, such a lower level that it just doesn't register for me. So that would be my, mm-hmm. that would be kind of my issue with it is that you, you might, I would think that you would kill college basketball in a way that you couldn't bring it back up. If you implemented that model, not that I think it couldn't work, um just that i i think you would really change the sport
1: now no that's for, i think that's, that's a fair that's a fair uh counterpoint to it i don't know if i agree yeah. with all of it but it's a fair counterpoint
0: now as for my recommendation the thing that really gets my goat and that i have talked about a lot is the players not being able to make money on their likenesses and, I, and jason touched on this so if i was getting to put something into this report i would change the relationship that that currently exists between the schools, the players, and the uh, and the say the apparel companies, but it's really all the companies that advertise with the school. So Duke has Nike, but then they also have um, lots of other companies. I think mean, Continental Tire is a big supporter of Duke basketball. Any of the companies that have ads during the games, who have ads in Cameron, who uh, Delta Airlines, I think sponsors Blue Devil Network. All of those companies, I think, should have. Uh, more open relationships directly with the players, and the the way that the school is involved here is that I think the school should be able to provide the you know the agents, I guess the the agency for connecting the players with those advertising opportunities. So if Delta Airlines wants to sponsor Marvin Bagley's dunks, then the Delta airlines representative who already works with Duke athletics on advertising can come in and say, we want to sponsor Marvin Bagley. They all get together. Marvin has, has his agent that he's, that he's allowed to have on the side because that that's already part of the recommendation here. And the players can work more directly with those companies. It helps them. I think it it gets rid of some of the, Uh, the underhanded money, I think the money that comes from the shoe companies, you know, a lot of what was in this FBI report, and in the investigation is about the shoe companies funneling money to the players and and the coaches. If that money gets to be above board, through the schools and the schools know about it, and therefore the NCAA knows about it, then we're not really worried about this stuff anymore. And, and, and we don't have to be asking questions. I think there are there's a sort of contrarian question about well how much are the players really worth? You know, would you would you keep watching Duke basketball if Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter weren't there? Sure, I would. But I like it more when those guys are there. So they're they're part of the entertainment value. And this sort of goes back to why I don't want the baseball model because I don't know that I would be as big of a Duke basketball fan if so many of the good players weren't there. If Duke basketball was only as good as like Miak basketball, and that was the best you could get in college. It would not be fun anymore. It's fun because it is is at a certain level of quality, and I think you would be able I, to. I, wait, 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 wait! I think
2: you're you're com- you're completely wrong about that. I, I, sorry, I've sat here and listened to it. I, I think nope. you're dead wrong about that because what's exciting is the competition. It's watching your deed, and whether they are succeeding, um, at, uh, you know, at the level of guys who are basically NBA players who just aren't allowed to be in the NBA, which is what we have this year, or whether they're succeeding with guys who, uh, you know, like, let's say, let's say the, the best teams in the country were about like Georgia tech or Boston college, you know, like middle of the middle bottom tier of a, of a power five conference kind of teams. You'd still watch it'd still be exciting. They still do incredible, fabulous things on the court that none of the rest of us can do. Man, I just really it's
0: a, see it I, I think it's a sliding it's a sliding scale. It's not like at a certain point the interest would drop off and go away. but the general interest in college basketball and all of our interest, I think is based at least in part on the minimum level of play that we expect to see and if the basketball wasn't as good like it's not in in the lower conferences the lower conferences don't have 9000 seat arenas that you need to pay five figures to be a season ticket holder for and there's a reason for that it's because the, the But the reason of for that okay,
2: the reason for that is not the quality of the basketball it's the re- the reason is the quality of the basketball relative to their competition
1: for a lot of them it's the community like I, I go back to a couple weeks ago. I was at a wedding in Tallahassee. Um, it was a Duke Duke friend that was getting married, but they got married on the weekend of Florida State Spring Game weekend. Now for Duke, that's the same. It was the same weekend for Duke. That's you know cool. You probably have a you know ten thousand people. If you know maybe a couple thousand people show up, watch the game. They had a sold out door Campbell Stadium for a spring game, and it's not because there is not just because of the competition level it's because they are that is their team that is their team no matter who wears the shirt and i think you have a lot of these schools that yeah the the competition level across the board may drop a little bit but i don't think it's going to matter to some of these fans because there are people who are their only team is the team is the college team they root for and i'm not talking about like you know, hey, I have a, I I follow these guys in the NBA. There are some people who only root for Alabama basketball. Now they may be, in my mind, they might be a little dumb, but that's their team. That's their only team. And I think for college basketball, I think that's why a lot of these, a lot of the fans that have spoken up about how they they yearn for the days where guys don't leave after a year. It's those fans we're talking about. It's those but, fans that they but, literally just latch themselves onto one team and that's it. When these teams but when these teams go through
0: down cycles they lose they lose ticket sales and they lose they lose viewers right maryland basket it used to be impossible to get a ticket to a maryland basketball game like back mm-hmm. in the in like the early 2000s when juan dixon and steve blake were there how easy is it to go to a maryland basketball game now because they they haven't made a final four since 2002 and 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 kids today don't remember those teams i i think that you guys are putting stock in a thing is that, that is so cyclical. Is, like, look at Alabama. Alabama football was was still a, a, a tradition, but not a crazy powerhouse machine for a long time until Nick Saban showed up, right? Um, all these programs go through these lulls, and we've talked about how when Coach K retires, we are not guaranteed for Duke to just keep riding the way it is. I bet you that... That maybe not the season after he retires, but but perhaps one or two seasons down the road, Duke's not going to sell out every every basketball game the way they have for however many decades now under Coach K.
2: But but Sam, that has nothing to do with whether or not the players are almost on the cusp of being pros. But I, it has but to I think do it, with no, it is because I because no, no players, it to, wait it has to do. But let me finish it has to do with your competition level relative to other teams maryland isn't not selling out games because they don't have first round draft picks maryland's not selling out games because they're not winning if they were winning and and the nba wasn't a thing that even existed as a possibility for these guys maryland would still be a fun exciting selling out people be watching them on TV. And that brings me, let me get in here really quick. Here is what I would change. And I'm going to go close to where Donald went, but even a little more radical. Get ready for this one. Everyone who wants to go play college basketball is going to get a very, very simple piece of paper. And that piece of paper is going to say, do you want to get an education or do you want to go pro as quickly as possible? And if you check the, I want to go pro as quickly as possible box, We're gonna say, excellent, that's fabulous. We're thrilled for you, good luck. The NBA has a minor league that is ideal for you. And if it doesn't work out for you there, you know what? You can still go back to college. It's not like people don't go back to college when they're 22, 19, when they're 21, 22, 25 years old. It's not the end of the world. The NBA has a minor league. They will pay you a decent salary in that minor league. And perhaps you can go directly to the pros. But if you check the box that you want to get an education, come on with us and you're coming to get an education. And we will expect you to stay here until you have been here at least three years. That is what I would change about the game. And I think that the television ratings would not change. And I think the ticket sales would not change. And I think the jersey sales would not change because there would still be the competition. I think that you would get, you would take out no more than 50 to maybe 75 guys a year, probably even less than that, who would say, I'm going pro. I'm not interested in the education. And the rest of them, would play college basketball and they would play college basketball for a minimum of three years and they would get a good education. They would be prepared for the rest of their lives. And most of them would stay four years and get a degree. That's what I would change. And I, I really, Sam, I really think it would not hurt ratings that much. I don't, I don't watch. I didn't enjoy Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter because of their skill level. I enjoyed them because of what they did relative to the skill level of other guys they were playing against.
0: See, and and I think that that you are discounting how much worse the game would look without all those star players, and 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 you, you and I, and and Donald, we might still be invested in Duke basketball, and we might still, you know, shell out for for Duke apparel and and try to go to games and buy tickets and and, and all the things that we do, but we represent a, a you know, the ninety ninth percentile of of all the people consuming college basketball. I think the interest in the sport, if you took away that top slice of talent would, would dip dramatically. I think that the NCAA tournament would still be fun, but ESPN wouldn't be paying the ACC tens of millions of dollars a year for the, for the right to broadcast the games. Cause I just don't think the interest would be there anymore. I, I, I agree with you that, that people are big Duke fans because they win um, that they're better than their competition. But People don't tune into lower conference Division One basketball games, even even from you know schools with with uh, big alumni bases and things like that, because the basketball just isn't as good. It isn't as much of a thing. Uh, They might sell out their arenas because their arenas hold three or four thousand seats, um, but but they're not getting on TV all the time, and therefore they're not getting that money. And that and there is a finite amount of money that. Sort of, let's say that 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 people in the country, basketball fans in the country, are going to pay for their basketball entertainment, whether they get it from the NBA or or the NCAA or the G League or wherever it comes from. And if college basketball's level of talent dips enough that people like dip so much people aren't going to watch it anymore. Then they'll watch the G league and they'll pay attention. Look at, I'll go back to baseball. I'm not saying that people watch so much minor league baseball, but minor league baseball gets, gets way more ticket sales and way more attention than college baseball does. Minus perhaps maybe during the college world series, which is like a week and a half in June. And, 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 If you're a baseball, if you're a big baseball fan, you follow who like the prospects are. The prospects matter because they're affiliated with the pro teams, not not because of which colleges they went to. It's it's a totally different system, and the colleges, the college baseball teams, I don't think make very much money, Um, and they don't get very much attention. They're not really on TV. If you want to watch a Duke baseball game, you have to stream it, and and I, I don't even know if you can stream all of those games because honestly, who knows a thing like that? I think it's 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 interesting to think about but at a certain point we not we the three of us on the show but but duke fans i think would start to lose interest and and i would like to protect that by giving the players more opportunities to be the the brands i think that they're capable of being and and i hate i hate them saying things like that because there was a time not so long ago when i thought all that stuff was really stupid and I, and I wish that it was the students come and, and their students first and, and all that kind of stuff, but, but we're past that. And it, it, I think it's too late now. And if we wanted, if we want college basketball to be the best that it can be, but also to be equitable to, to those who are most invested in it, that's the way it would have to go.
2: Agree to just dis- agree to get- disagree, Sam. I, 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 I think the competition is what makes it not the skill level but uh, I, I, Donald, why don't you,
0: why don't you finish this discussion? Yeah, huh? no,
2: I, Sam, I do. I do think you brought up kind of a, a,
1: a key interesting point in this debate. We've been going in circles for quite a while, but it's been good because you're, you're right. We are the 90, we are the, the 99 tile of people of Duke fanatics. We, we literally talk about it and record it so other people can listen to us talk about it. Uh, but, we're not. I think in this whole thing, and, I, and, and if I want, if I could amend my uh, one thing to add a, a subsection B, I think the commission should be made up of not just diehards, but the casual fans, because I think the casual fans will provide a unique perspective. I grew up as a Michigan fan. It wasn't because my dad went to Michigan, and it wasn't because my uncle or anything went to Michigan. It's because that was the school, that was the tradition. My my uncle worked for the university. It was a tradition. A lot of people, the reason why they are Duke fans or they're North Carolina fans or or Alabama football fans, is because of that tradition. And I think in the end, some of those people are only in it for the tradition. Some are in it for as 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 Jason says. Some are in it for the competition. Some think that the competition is great relative to the rest of the rest of college basketball. Some people are in it for the tradition. But I think all of those perspectives should be represented on this commission. And the only thing that the NCAA knows how to do is to talk to the money makers. And I think that's really where this commission is missing is because this, these things talk to the money makers and really who's going to be left out, not just diehards, but also the casuals. This episode
0: of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the boys of Bird Campbell, PA, with law offices in Texas and Florida. For all of your Blue Devil legal needs, contact Bird Campbell, PA, Bird Campbell means business. So Donald was talking just now, and we're not going to come back to this conversation until perhaps some other time, because it is of course, very interesting. Um, But Donald was talking about all the different factors that go into Duke fandom. And I actually had a thing I wanted to share with our listeners. Uh, I'm going to post about it on the board. I know that, um, that there was going to be something on the DBR main page at some point this week about it, but I was in touch with some current Fuqua school of business students who are doing a study about Duke basketball fandom and they're running a survey that it's very interesting. I I took it and they're trying to weigh different factors that go into Duke fandom that talk about, um, being in Cameron, being with friends, uh, the tradition, the quality of the play, actually kind of all these things are, are sort of in, in this survey and they're sort of assessed in an interesting way. So they're doing this survey. It's open. I'll post the link to it. Um, in this podcast description, and also on the forum thread, and I believe that the that if you take this survey and you give them your email address, you're entered into a contest to win a basketball signed by Coach K. So um, it only takes like five or ten minutes. Help out some Fuqua students who are who are doing an interesting study on Duke basketball, and and you might win a very cool prize. Um, so you'll see details about that, Jason. I know that you had some other uh, topics that you wanted to get to today that were not quite as related to the, uh, to the commission on college basketball. So why don't you just go ahead and take the floor?
2: <laughs> well, guys, we talked about two different potential things that I wanted to talk about. Um, I guess, are we sort of doing parting shots now? Is that what this is? Yeah, sure. Uh, this is,
0: let, let's say that I just did my parting shot. We're in, okay, we're in off season mode. So we're, we're, we're not exactly what <laughs> we yeah. Donald, do you want to um, give me your player so- of the week? Was it? Was, yeah. <laughs> My player of the week is
2: um,
1: J.J. Redick.
0: <laughs> okay. Jay, great. Great. Uh, and Jason, you're parting. Nice pick.
2: Nice pick. <laughs> hey, J.J.'s having a great playoffs and, and I think it's yes, going to be a does. long playoffs for him. So n- nice choice there. Uh, so uh, so we had sort of talked about two different potential things Um for a parting shot for me, one of them was the movies and uh, uh, and Avengers Infinity War. I'll get to that in a second. I want to do the first one first because this is still the Duke Basketball Report podcast. And there's a Duke Basketball thing that I want to bring up. Um, on April 16th, uh, just about uh, a little less than two weeks ago, uh, Vic Bubas died. He was 91 years old. It's easy to say that Coach K transformed Duke Basketball. That's... The popular thing that's what we all believe because none of us are old enough to remember the guy who really transformed duke basketball and that was vic bubas um when he became the head coach of the duke blue devils in the late 1950s and then into the 1960s duke was a, a a nice team a decent team but a very very regional team they were they were known in the carolinas and that's pretty much it and um, Vic Bubas immediately elevated the, um, the the image of Duke. He uh, the very first thing he did. I, I was reading a little bit about him. Um, literally, he got the job very next day. After he got the job, he went up to Long Island, New York. From Durham, North Carolina, he went to Long Island, New York because there was a six-foot-five-inch guy that he really wanted to bring down to Duke. And that guy's name was Art Heyman. And for Duke, this school in North Carolina, to be recruiting someone on Long Island was crazy. But Art Heyman believed in what Vic Bubas was doing, and Art Heyman came to Duke. And then I think the very next year, Jason, Big Jason, blue I, blue I need to yeah.
0: stop you because it, it is hilarious to me to think that there was a challenge of getting Long Island students to go to Duke at some point
2: <laughs>
0: in <its> history, <laughs> I, but, For but basketball. I digress, For
2: basketball. But, right. but
0: I digress. Please continue.
2: So I believe it was, the, it was either, the, either the same year or the very next year. I'm I'm not 100%. I, I should know my Duke history better than this. I apologize. I, I haven't done enough research, but um Uh, Vic Bubas from Durham, North Carolina, went to Lexington, Kentucky, where Adolph Rupp ruled the college basketball world. He was the biggest, most important guy in all of college basketball. And Vic Bubas grabbed Jeff Mullins out from Adolph Rupp's nose. And Art Heyman and Jeff Mullins formed the the foundation of a transformation of the Duke basketball program under Vic Bubas. And uh, from... Uh, you know, in the middle 1960s, Duke was in the top 10 every year. They made three final fours over the course of four seasons, 1963, 1964, and 1966. They were in the final four every one of those years. And in 1969, when Vic Bubis retired, he was only 42 years old. I mean, it's hard to believe you know how he just decided he didn't have the energy to keep doing it anymore he was only 42 when he retired and he was at the top of the game and he had changed what duke basketball was and if you want one stat to show you how great a coach he was in his years at duke 11 season he won 76 percent of his games only mike Shashevsky, roy williams and dean smith Have won more than 76% of their games in ACC history. So, Vic Bubas, alongside Mike Shashevsky, Roy Williams, and Dean Smith, as the greatest coaches in ACC history. And the last thing I want to tell people about him that, you know, there are a lot of folks out there who know this, but for those of you who don't know it, probably the most incredible thing about Vic Bubas was he was absolutely 100% associated with NC State. Before he came to Duke, he played for NC State. He was a two-time, it wasn't the ACC, it was the Southern Conference. He was a two-time Southern Conference, um, first team, uh, you know, all Southern Conference at, at NC State. And he was an assistant coach at NC State for Everett Case for eight seasons before he suddenly took the job at Duke. Can you imagine if Chris Collins, rather than taking the job at Northwestern, had taken the job at NC State? and had suddenly turned NC State into the best program in the ACC, it would be unbelievable. That was Vic Bubis' life. And so I just, I, I, ha- I have to share that with people. Folks, take a second, go and read some of the articles about this guy, this man who retired at the age of 42, who transformed the Duke program, who made Duke into a national basketball program, a school that recruited all over the country. And that is why, Duke is still great today. I firmly believe we would never have become the program we became if Vic Bubas hadn't laid the foundation. Hey, Jason, one quick
1: uh, uh, accolade that uh, uh, among many that he had that uh, I wanted to mention as well is that he is the coach that is credited with pioneering the art of recruiting as we know it today, targeting players early and gathering information on them before other coaches know uh, and really just like, going after players before their senior year. Uh, There is a quote uh, from Dean Smith about Vic Bubis, and he says, Vic taught us all how to recruit. We had been starting on prospects in the fall of their senior years while Vic was working on them their junior year. For a while, all of us were trying to catch up with him. I think that speaks volumes about the type of coach that he was and how he really changed the game, not just for Duke, but for college basketball.
2: So the other thing that we said we were going to talk about, (laughs) guys, I got to see Avengers Infinity War before anyone else got to see it. Not before everyone, but before most of you got to see it. And it's the biggest, most important movie of the year. And so I just want, you know, we're going to get this podcast out there probably before some folks haven't seen it yet. And uh, people, if you don't know, I'm sort of an amateur, semi-professional Movie reviewer, I get to see everything early. I, I I sit with the critics and talk to them a lot. Um, and actually, uh, just recently, I've started my reviews have started um, appearing uh, on on CNN and and uh, and other places like that. Uh, if you go to the boards, you'll you'll see some of my reviews and the such. But I want to tell people out there a little bit about this film. Um, I'm not going to. There will be no spoilers involved or anything like that. Uh, but it's very interesting. When I walked out of Avengers Infinity War. Like the second the film ended, I was blown away by the ending and I thought to myself, wow, that was an incredible, wonderful ride. And every single second since then, (laughs) the more I think about the movie, the less and less I think of it. The more you dwell on this film, the more disappointed in it you become. Um, There's a lot about the movie that is a mess. It is packed full of way too much stuff. And as a result, it's not intimate at all. And I'm really disappointed because uh, Anthony and Joe Russo, the the guys, the brothers who directed this film, um, the previous films they've made in the Marvel Universe, the first Captain America film, the second Captain America film, and Captain America Civil War. I thought the, the thing about all three of those movies that the Russos got so good was they didn't focus on the action. They focused on the characters, the interpersonal relationships. I mean, if you think about the three Captain America films, especially Winter Soldier and Civil War, it is about, you know, one-on-one, Cap and someone else, and how they're connecting and their emotions for each other and all that kind of stuff. And this movie has none of that. There are so many characters in it. It's so chock-full and packed full of stuff. there's no time for anything intimate there's no time for characters and it's a it's a huge failing of the movie it's fun it's a blast there's tons of fighting and action and things like that but it's too big a story and i wish it had been smaller which seems crazy but but that's that's the problem i have with it and then the other thing donald you mentioned you're interested in seeing it but but i i i i asked you i said hey Donald, have you seen the Guardians of the Galaxy movies? No, not all of them. H- have you seen Doctor Strange? Not all of it. H- have Have you seen Captain America: Civil War? Not all of it. Have you seen Spider Man: Homecoming? No. Have you seen Thor: Ragnarok? No, parts of it. Then, then, then this movie you're gonna. There's so much in this movie that you're gonna be lost on. This movie is great for people who've seen all 18. Or at least you know ten or twelve of the Marvel movies. If you haven't seen ten or twelve of the Marvel movies, please do not go see this movie, because I think that there'll be tremendous amounts of character development and dialogue and jokes and other things that you just won't understand. And it's a pity because I guess Marvel had no choice. I guess they had to make something big, but I wish they hadn't. I wish they hadn't. Sounds I remember, like I sounds like I, I remember a seeing week doing this.
1: Uh, watching every movie but uh, uh, Infinity War. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I remember going to see the I'm not
0: a huge movie guy I did see the Avengers in theaters and I guess because I missed Thor I was like totally lost on the plot of Avengers because the bad guy in Avengers was the bad guy from Thor and so, Loki yes yeah yeah and and so uh I I still enjoyed the movie and I thought it was fun the original Avengers but I really had no idea what was going on
2: all right Sam it's time for your parting shot Oh wait! No, you had one.
0: No, no, no! no. I, I, Donald. I did mine. Everybody, go take that survey. Donald, uh, did you did you have a parting shot for us? And maybe it was the NBA.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have a parting shot, but I will say that if you are not watching the NBA playoffs, and I'm not just talking about the the Duke players involved, but just the NBA playoffs in general, you are missing one hell of a NBA playoffs because every game has been fantastic. Uh, just you know, my sleep schedule is is off this time of year because of the late games going till about one o'clock in the morning or or just shortly after. Uh, But they're games that you really can't take your eyes off of. There've been a lot of great storylines, a lot of great uh, uh, back and forth games, uh, a lot of rivalries formed. Uh, But I I do think that if you are in need of a, of a, of a basketball fix, the NBA playoffs are here for your consumption and you should take advantage of it. And if you haven't, which which you haven't watched,
0: if you haven't watched, Ben Simmons of the Sixers yet, I, like I, I, I admit I I did not watch a lot of Ben Simmons in college. I don't watch a lot of NBA regular season. I just don't make time for it. But I have watched some of those some of those Sixers
1: and and Cavs games. Oh my goodness, Ben Simmons is amazing. He has he has been tremendous this entire playoffs, and honestly, this whole season he has been he has been tremendous. But he's
2: taken it to another level in these playoffs. Hey, he's he's the next Magic Johnson, right? I mean, doesn't doesn't his game remind you of Magic Johnson? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it reminds me
0: a lot of a of a player who retired when I was two. Oh.
2: <laughs> Damn it! Sam. I'm sorry, you, missed <laughs> Magic Johnson. Yeah, that's your fault. <laughs> that yeah, it's, it's definitely hey, hey. my fault. <laughs> Donald, which which was more amazing? What Russell Westbrook did. To lead his team from like they were down 25 points midway through the third quarter, or something like that. And mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook basically just said, "Okay, I'm taking over the game," or what LeBron James did in the final five seconds against Indiana, which was more amazing. All right. All right, let me. You know
1: what? Let me talk about this Cavs game, okay? So that game happened in Game Four, and the you know I have I have a, a group meet text with uh, some of my homies from back home. We talk about basketball all the time. We're we're live talk, you know, texting each other about the playoffs. So in game four, all right, this is the game in uh Indiana. Indiana's up three with like two minutes left. And we're like, if Indiana can't close this out to go up three-one, this series is over, Cavs and six. And they, of course, let the Cavs back in it, and the Cavs ended up winning in overtime. And we're like, well, that that's a wrap again in game five the pacers had a chance to win the basketball game and they just couldn't do it and they gave it it's it's like you knew it was coming and as soon as they the ball went out of bounds with three seconds left and it was cas ball everyone on planet earth mars jupiter and maybe even saturn knew LeBron james was getting the basketball they knew he was going to try and take a jumper. And you knew it was going in. As soon as he released the shot, I didn't even have to look. I just looked, I basically just looked at the at the net to watch it go whoosh. And look, the Indiana Pacers have had two chances, two great chances to go up three games to one, three games to two, and they let LeBron James beat him twice. So uh Cavs are gonna win in six, but I do think, and this is probably a bold statement right now. I do think that the team that is playing the best in the Eastern conference is the Philadelphia 76ers. And it's, it's, as Sam said, they are fun to watch and they are also not, uh, not giving a damn about who they piss off along the way, because I think a new rivalry was formed between uh, the Sixers and the heat. Uh, I think the the series was fantastic, but I do think next year, those are going to be some games to watch and, uh, I now, tr- if you didn't trust the process before, you're gonna trust it once you watch these Seventy Sixers play. Uh, it is it is a process that has come full circle, and these guys are really, really playing very good basketball. Did, did yeah, you yeah? Know, sorry, I, I, I,
0: I made a mistake earlier. I, I said that the Sixers were playing the the Cavs. I know that's not true.
1: Oh yeah, I mean honestly, it comes down to. Everyone thinks that, they, look, the team to beat is the Cavs because LeBron's playing for them in the Eastern Conference. Until and LeBron, someone, hasn't missed, LeBron hasn't missed a final since I was in college. Right. Is, is until someone knocks off the King, they are the team to beat. But I do think the Raptors have some has some good players in them that, that they're playing pretty well. Uh, they're in a battle with the, with the uh, Wizards. But the team that's playing the best is the 76ers. It's not the Cavs. So uh, if there's a team that, like, as of today – I say could beat the Cavs, it's the Sixers. But again, the great thing about these playoffs is tomorrow brings something else and brings another storyline and brings another thing to debate. It's absolutely great basketball is being played right now in the
2: NBA. So I think think the Cavs are in huge trouble. Uh, Whether they beat Indiana or not, um, as you just identified, they're in a dogfight with Indiana. And Indiana's just not that good. And I mean, the Cavs really... It, it, it takes, It's taken a little bit of a miracle for the Cavs to be up 3-2. They should be down 3-2. Um, you know, they absolutely should be down 3-2. And it should be they should be down 3-2 going back to Indiana. Um, when they face the Raptors, and beyond that, when they face the 76ers, I, I don't think the Cavs have enough. I mean, LeBron, LeBron is great. He's amazing. He's a force of nature. And the rest of his teammates suck.
1: Look, there was so one I, game I, where the only reason they won is because he literally scored the first like 16 points of the game and they still almost lost that game. So, yeah, you're right. I think LeBron is doing his job, but his his supporting cast uh, around him has to really do a lot more to uh, to make them the team to beat. As of right now, they aren't. And meanwhile – He's, he's,
2: he's, he's yeah. averaging – wait, wait. He's averaging 40, almost 43 minutes per game. In in this series, and this this uh, by the way, the series is going to go seven. I think that Indiana is going to win Game Six. Donald, you're wrong about that. Indiana is going to win Game Six. The series is going to go seven. Uh, LeBron's getting up there. He's got a number of years in the NBA, and the playoffs take a a toll on you. He's going to be very tired facing a really good Toronto team. I think they don't get past that series. And
0: and whatever happens in the East. They have to contend with whatever juggernaut comes out of the West. So
2: because that we, would that would be Houston, we, and and yes, it does not matter. Houston is winning the title this year. Uh, State. Right?
0: And see, see, well, that's that's why I said whichever no, of the powerhouses no, no, come no, out of the West,
2: we can we no, can uh, talk about Steph that. Steph is on more the hurt episode. than you think. Steph is more hurt than you think. But they got Quinn Cook though. Come on, Jason, you got to have some faith in our boy. I love me some podcast, Quinn Cook, but Cook. he's no Steph Curry.
0: All right, well, th- this, is, I think, has been the episode of this show that we have disagreed about things the most, and so I want to thank the two of you for being civil and, and thoughtful, and to everybody listening, in case you have ever been concerned through the history of this show, that all we do is agree with each other. That's not the case. So uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Don't forget, if you love the show, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Uh, Make sure to leave us a five-star review. If you don't like the show or you had concerns or questions for us, feel free, of course, to email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We've gotten a handful of nice notes recently. I I think we've responded to all of them. If we haven't, well, we're jerks, and and we should probably be better at our jobs. And if you want to sponsor the show, like the fine folks at Bird Campbell do, you can also email us at that same address, and we will set you up with a sponsorship. So for Donald Wine and Jason Evans, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 118 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us
2: home.